Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, we've already seen in our last study that we are in Christ and not in the flesh because Jesus and the Holy Spirit are in us. But we unfortunately may at times set our minds on the things of the flesh instead of setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. If you remember, that's where we kind of left off. Again, there's a big difference between being in the flesh or in the Spirit and setting your mind on things of the flesh and things of the Spirit. In other words, if you are in Christ, again, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. All right? And he said, anybody that doesn't have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. So if you have the Spirit of Christ within you, you are in Christ. Therefore, you can never be in the flesh. But even though we are in Christ and not in the flesh, we still live in these fleshly bodies that we have already studied in Romans 7. Paul says we're at a war against our flesh. We still sometimes choose to set our minds on things of the flesh instead of setting our minds on things of the Spirit. Go back again to Romans chapter 7 and look at verse 15. He says, For I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. We're at a war. Anybody else agree that we got this problem? Again, don't think for a second, well, that means I'm in the flesh. No, we have to set our minds on things of the Spirit because we're in Christ. We're not in the flesh. Now, thank God, because of Jesus, even though we sometimes set our minds on things of the flesh, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Look again at Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, what's the difference between being in the Spirit or in the flesh? Is Jesus in you, right? If Christ is in you, you're in Jesus. You're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Do you still sin? Yes, but there's no condemnation. Now, there will be correction. The book of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and following clearly states that a loving father disciplines his children. And if we're not being disciplined by our father, we're not his children. And it's not pleasant at the time, and it's for our good. But at the same time, there will be correction, but there'll never be condemnation. And unfortunately, too many Christians still fall prey to, when they sin, Satan whispering in their ear is, God's punishing you. Your mother died because you didn't do this or you wouldn't stop doing that or all these types of things that Satan loves to put in our heads and feel like we're being judged by God and condemned by God. No, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Now, remember, in Christ, we have passed from death to what? To life. But not only life, but eternal life. And I want that to sink in for a minute. If you've passed from death to life, but you've not only passed from death to life, but you've passed from death to eternal life. Can you ever die? No, spiritually you've been made alive and you've been passed to eternal life. Therefore, there'll be no judgment. There'll be no condemnation in that sense because you have passed to eternal life. Go to John chapter 5 real quick with me and look at verses 22 through 24. 
John chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Jesus says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That's going to be important later on in our study. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Now whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, past tense, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So, who's the one who condemns? Jesus. And he's the judge, correct? Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 33 through 39. We're going to jump ahead to some things we'll cover in the next few weeks. But in Romans chapter 8, look at verses 33 through 39. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is the one that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He, who, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for God's sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if the one who is judging, because remember the Father's handed all judgment over to the Son. If the one who is judging is Jesus and you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation because he's not only passed you from death to eternal life, he's also, he's the one that's interceding on your behalf continually. By the way, how he intercedes for us is simply this, by being alive. He's not like saying, oh, Father, forgive him. Oh, Father, you know, don't hold that against him. No, we've already been forgiven. And the Father loves us already because we love Jesus. Jesus' intercession is just by being alive. And if you have been put in him, you're alive. Is he ever going to die? Is the one who, is who paid your price and lives forever ever going to die? No, if you've passed from death to life and you're in Christ and he sealed you with his spirit, you'll never face judgment from God in the sense of condemnation. Will he work on us to shape us more into the image of Jesus? Yes. Will he correct us? Yes. Will he rebuke us? Yes. Will he punish us? No. He will not punish us because Jesus already took the full punishment for all our sins. Now, sometimes the correction feels like punishment, but we need to let the truth of God sink in. It's not. It may feel like he's angry at you and Satan may whisper in your ear and say, God's upset with you right now. No, he can't be. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Now look again, though, at verses three and four. There's something here that we really, really need to see. And it's going to be kind of a fun thing to chase here for a second. Look at Romans 8, three to four. It says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right? Now, the law, which is holy and good, like we've already looked at, could not make us holy and good because of the weakness of our flesh. Remember, we've already studied this. The law fueled the sin already in our flesh. Remember this? How sin was, in, in, in sin we were conceived. Sin of Adam passed on to all of us. And from the moment we were born, or from the moment we were conceived, we had sin. The law brought it to life. Well, we got to deal with something then. How come the law didn't bring to life the sin in Jesus' flesh? No, it's not because he is the law. Somebody say it. His, he wasn't born with sin. Look closely at what it says here. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Let me ask you a question. Was Adam created with sin in his flesh? No. He sinned and therefore sin was there. 
But Adam was created without sin. And the Bible describes Jesus as the second who? The second Adam. This is important. This is why we need to understand the virgin birth. He had to have been created by the Father and put inside of Mary. Now, Mary, I think, had a part. There's all great debate in how much part Mary had and all this stuff. He was human. He was of the lineage. Somehow, some way, he was, he was, his humanity was given to him by God. Now, how that all works, and trust me, theologians have tried to wrestle with that for years and just give it up. You'll hurt yourself trying to figure it all out. I mean, people try to break down the man's blood and the woman's blood. It's just, it's silliness, to be honest with you. Leave it alone. Jesus, God put him inside of Mary. How much Mary had a part? Go ahead. God did it, accept it. But he's the second Adam. Was God able to create Adam without sin? Yes, he did. Did he give him flesh? Was he made of the earth? Yes. Jesus was made in the same way, but he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, the difference between Jesus' flesh and yours and mine is he didn't have it in, he didn't have sin in him, like every one of us does. So when the law came, it didn't fuel the sin within Jesus. Was he tempted? Yes, in every way. Yet without sin, he didn't defeat the sin in his flesh. His flesh never had it. And that's why the virgin verse is important. And some of you might not have even ever noticed it in one of your most favorite passages. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Go to, look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Did you catch that? He was born in the likeness of men. He was just like you and me, except he wasn't just like you and me. He didn't have sin. Just like Adam was made without sin, Jesus is the second Adam. And he, well, go back to Romans chapter 8, and let's look at it again, verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, for those of us who are in Christ. The righteous requirement of the law has been, well, let's just back it up. Was the righteous requirement of the law met by Jesus? I hope you know this one. Yes. Are you in Christ? Is what is Christ's yours? Yes. Guess what? The righteous requirement of the law has already been met in you and me. Because we're in Christ. That's why all through this Bible we've been seeing, we're no longer under law, but under grace. Yet many of us still try to go serve God by going back under the law. And that's why we judge each other by law type things and what Christians ought to do or ought not to do. And we try to put people back under the law. Don't go there. We're to be led of the Spirit. By the way, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. By the way, if you keep your, set your minds on things above, the things of the earth will actually not have their sway on you. We need to learn how to walk in the Spirit, but we are already without condemnation. We are already in Christ. The righteous requirements of the law have already been met by Jesus. And therefore, if we are in Him, we don't have to worry about the law and how good we're doing according to the law been taken care of. Go ahead, Rick. It's the renewing of a mind. And we'll talk about that later on tonight, but I'm glad you brought that out. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, verses 38 to 39. That's why Paul says a couple times, all things are lawful, but not all things beneficial. Acts 13, verses 38 and 39. Look at, what, look at what was being preached here by Paul here. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Let me read it one more time. 
Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verses 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's one of the neat things about going to Christ when you're struggling with sin. He knows the struggle. He's, he just never sinned. But it wasn't like he had sin in him and he didn't do it. No, he didn't ever have it in him. Yet he was tempted in every way. and He understands the struggle. So, he was tempted, but there was no sin in his flesh that the law could bring out. That's why the virgin birth is so important. It's one of the non-negotiables when it comes to the Christian faith. But he condemned sin in the flesh and paid for the sins of the world with his own blood. Go to Colossians chapter 2. I don't think it could be said much clearer than this, but go to Colossians chapter 2. Is what I want you to see how Paul puts it here. Verses 6 through 15. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Keep reading. In him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I don't think we could spend the rest of tonight breaking that down and even fully understand it. But there are a few things I want you to hear. Did Jesus meet the righteous requirements of the law? Yes. Did he defeat our enemy in doing so? Did he pay for all of your sins? Are you in him? In him, the deity lived in bodily form and we have been filled in him. You already have everything you need for life and godliness. Any teaching that says, here's what you need to do now. No, what we need to do is understand who we are and live out of that new nature. Like you had said earlier, Rick, the renewing of our mind. We don't need to help him save us. Jim, doesn't it always, or doesn't it say in Philippians 2, verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12, that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, but listen to the rest of the verse. Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Our job is to daily say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. We have been given that ability. We have been set free from the law to serve Christ freely. And so we have to renew our minds. Now, we, unfortunately, those of us who are in Christ and not in the flesh, sometimes set our minds on things of the flesh. Anybody says he doesn't? He's a liar. The Bible says in 1 John, the truth's not in him. But when we do, don't stay there long. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought about the fact that after Jesus told Peter, 
you're that new creation now. He had met him and said, hey, your name's Simon, one day you'll be Peter. And when Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't open your eyes. And I'm going to tell you right now, my father's opened your eyes and you are Peter. You're that new creation now. And he said, I'm going to build my church on what you just said, that profession of your faith. It just was a few chapter or a few verses later in Matthew that Jesus tells Peter, oh, by the way, you're going to act like you never knew me. Peter goes, oh, you don't know me very well. Oh, I know you really well. And actually, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times you ever met me. And by the way, if you go and read the stories in the Gospels, one of the time, the third time, he swore an oath. I swear to God, I've never met the guy. Pretty serious stuff, wouldn't you think? But just prior to that, in the upper room, just a few hours earlier, Jesus washes Peter's feet. Peter thinks he's serving him. Jesus says, this isn't about service. This is how we know it wasn't about service. He says, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but later you will. Did you catch that? If, if Jesus was teaching to serve one another, Peter knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus said, this isn't about that. He says, you're already clean. A person that's already clean doesn't need a bath. You've already been made clean, but you get your feet dirty. And was Jesus... Washing Peter's feet before he got them dirty or after he got them dirty? Well, it's, yes, but actually the real answer on this one is, is before. You don't know what I'm doing right now. I've already given you a heads up as to what's going to happen in the next few hours. And I'm forgiving you already before it happens. And when it happens, you'll understand what just happened here tonight. Oh, and if I, your master and Lord have done this for you. You need to have the same attitude toward your brothers and your sisters. One of the things I used to do as a pastor when I do premarital counseling was I would sit the young couple down and they're in that excitement phase and I would say to the, the girl first, I'd say, would you ever intentionally hurt this guy? And she'd say, I would never do that. I go, well, look, look him in the eye right now and just tell him that. Tell him right to his face. I will never, ever intentionally hurt you. And she would do that. And I'd say to the guy, would you ever intentionally hurt her? He goes, oh, I would never do that. Well, then tell her right now, I will never, ever intentionally hurt you. I said, now you guys need to remember that. Because after you're married, you're going to be hurt by each other. And you need to remember this wasn't intentional. In other words, you need to set your mind to forgive them before they do it. The grace of Christ has already been poured out to us for all our sins, even the ones in the future. Even the ones already, you've already been forgiven. He's not going to condemn you. He might even allow some of the struggle to shape you and to teach you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It gets even deeper. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. By the way, this blows away those who try to teach that Jesus died only for the people that are going to be saved. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling who? The world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? God was in Christ at that time paying for the sins of the whole world. In other words, on God's side of the ledger, the sins of the whole world have been paid for. The message of the gospel, our message that we're his ambassadors of reconciliation, that we're to be preaching is, God has already paid for your sins. The forgiveness is offered. It's been paid for. Receive it. Be reconciled to God. That's why the Bible and Jesus himself said, the only sin not forgiven is what? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit draws you to salvation, 
and you reject it. That's the only sin that wasn't covered by the blood of Christ. You, you ask this question, can a believer blaspheme the Holy Spirit? It's impossible. Because Jesus himself said, I will lose none that the Father has given me. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when the Spirit of God calls you to salvation and offers you salvation and your eyes are open to it. You know it and you reject it. That's the only thing. By the way, did you all catch this back in John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8? Jesus says, it's good for you that I'm going away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. Verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world regarding sin. Because men don't believe in me. Listen closely. We do not go to hell for adultery. We do not go to hell for lying or lust or any of that stuff. Those are all sins that show us our need of a Savior. You go to hell for rejecting Jesus as your Savior. He'll convict them regarding sin because they don't believe in me. By the way, Jesus paid for all of that stuff, the lying, the lust, the adultery. But if you reject the call of the Spirit to salvation, you say, I don't want your payment for my sin. I'll take care of it myself. Now you're guilty for all that stuff that had heaped up on you that Jesus already paid for. Do you understand? The message of the gospel is he loves you. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's already paid for your sins. And he wants you just to receive it by faith. And I think the Bible teaches in some way and in many different ways in people's lives, God gets everyone to the point where they understand. And we'll be held accountable for how much light that he's given us. But listen, we Christians need to understand. He's already paid for all of our sins. He's met the righteous requirements of the law. Now that we're in him, we've received fullness and well, go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 and 22. For as by a man, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made Alive. Then it goes in each in his own turn. Did you catch that? All of us who are born human, we're in Adam. But if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ and he sealed us with his spirit, we have been put in Christ. And just as much as we all were dead in our trespasses and sins because of Adam, you're just that much alive because of Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that I think you can maybe answer and it might help you. How many of you would 100% agree that be, you would have no trouble accepting that you're in Adam and that sin just passed on to you and you've got it. It, it? It's what happened to you when you were born. You understand what I'm saying? Sin was already in you. You didn't, you, it just was there, right? How many of you are willing to accept that now in that same way, just as powerfully, if not more, if you're in Christ, you're alive? You're alive. When we sin now, and we still do, we're sinning against our nature. It's not, our, it's not who we are. And we've got to learn how to set our minds on things above. We'll get to that later on in our study. Maybe not tonight. We'll see how much time we have. So, if we are in Him, we are reconciled to God. Go to Romans 8 now and look at verses 9 through 17. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit, you see the Holy Spirit, that's capital S, of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit, His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. 
But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, and then heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. We've got a lot to cover in these verses. So I'm going to ask you a question tonight. This giving life to our mortal bodies, as we just read, let me read it to you again, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So is this giving life to our mortal bodies, speaking of empowering us to live in the spirit while still in our flesh, or is it talking about our future, future physical resurrection? The answer is yes. I actually think the context and what's going on around it will show both. You're going to see Paul's making a transition here in chapter 8. You're going to see the transition starting to move from what we should be living out now in our sanctification to glorification. If you remember, the book of Romans has been dealing with the whole of the gospel. Remember, salvation is not just the time you got saved. You were saved, you're being saved, and one day you'll receive salvation when Jesus comes bringing salvation with him. We're being saved, and one day we'll be saved. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? It's full three parts, justification, sanctification, and glorification. If you remember from our study of Romans, he spent the first few chapters dealing with justification. Then he moved into, in the last six, seven, and eight chapters, those chapters with sanctification, the living it out. He's now about to move into the glorification part. But he's making a transition. And I want you to see from the context, look at Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 14. Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 14. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members or your body parts to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Again, living in the new nature in our minds and your members as to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. In other words, we need to set our minds on that, this truth of who we are in Christ, the power that's within us. And when we do that, that same power that gave Jesus the victory in the flesh, even though tempted, will empower us to live the, the life where we have victory over sin as well. But look at Romans chapter 8, verses 23 and 25, through 25. He also says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for what, it, sorry, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. And so in this section here of Romans 8, he's moving from what he's been showing us, how we are to live in this new nature that we have in Christ, set our minds on the fact that we have been raised with Christ. And in doing so, he'll give us victory over these mortal bodies that are warring against us. Yet at the same time, he's also using this as a transition to what is to come. And I, I don't know about you. One of the greatest things that I'm looking forward to besides seeing Jesus face to face is getting out of this body. The, the, the battle, and I'm not talking about my back surgery and my knee surgery and the fact that my eyes are getting worse. I'm not talking that. I'll be honest with you. I'm talking the fighting of the war of my flesh, not wanting to do what the spirit wants to do. That's what bothers me the most. I, I can look you in the eye and say, just like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? By the way, I just quoted Romans chapter 7. Look again at Romans 7, verse 25, sorry, verse 24. Uh, we'll start in verse 23. Ah, we'll start in verse 21. 
I think we'll stop there. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law, Paul said, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Of course, he then says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But look at, I made a little arrow between verse 24 and of Romans 7 and verse 11 of Romans 8. I made a little arrow between the two. Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We're going to get to, in a little bit, the glorification of our body and our new bodies. And I can't wait. But we can't skip over the fact that right now in our flesh, we can live in the power of the Spirit. I'm not moving into a realm of sinless perfection. And if you walk in the Spirit, you'll never sin again. Uh, no, the Bible doesn't teach that we'll ever get to that point here. But it does say that instead of being sinless, we'll sin less. Does that make sense? We'll never become sinless. But we will sin less. There should be a growth. There should be progression. Because God has predestined, getting ahead of myself in Romans 8, to conform me and you into the image of Jesus Christ. We're being renewed daily. He's in the process of making us more and more like Jesus. If he's in us, there will be. There will be a growth spiritually. I'm just tired of the struggle. And Jesus said, I know, but don't grow weary in doing good. For in due time you will reap if you don't give up. Actually, the context of these verses show Paul making the transition from victory in this life to reward in the life to come when we get our new bodies that don't have sin in them. But between now and then, we have a what? Does anybody know what word I wanted to say? Starts with an O and then goes to a B. Obligation. Look at verse 12. Between now and then, we have an obligation. Don't miss that. So, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But what? We're to live according to the Spirit. We're debtors to God and His Spirit within us. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14, and then verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 14. And then verses 19 and 20. Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. He then goes on and says, don't you realize that Christ is in you and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't put your temple uh, with a prostitute. But jump over to verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Part of setting our minds on things of the Spirit and not on things of the flesh is to honestly renew our minds in the truth that we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We've been bought with a price. And we're now slaves of Jesus Christ. That's what that word actually means all through the Bible. You see the word servant. It's actually bond slave. Oh, by the way, those bond slaves willingly signed themselves up to be a slave for life to the person who is their master. I'm not supposed to be in charge of my life anymore. 
But this is a wonderful thing about my master. He will not force me. He wants me to choose daily whether I'm going to live for my flesh or live for the spirit. Oh, he's going to be lovingly working in that area to bring me into that, in, into that line. But he's not going to control me like a puppet. I get to choose each day who I'm going to serve. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I got this other problem going on at the same time. I don't know if you know this, but sin is pleasurable. Don't, don't miss that for a season. I heard someone say it, for a season. That's why the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Moses gave up the pleasures of sin for the short period of time on the earth. And he looked to what was ahead. Sin is pleasurable, and my flesh likes it. Am I free because I'm not under the law and I'm not to be condemned to choose to live in the flesh? Will I lose my salvation? No. Will I be condemned? No. Can I go down that road and do what I want? Sure. All things are lawful. I'm not under the law anymore. But not everything's beneficial. And actually, because of the fact that Christ is in me, the second I'm done doing what I thought would be fun, I hate it. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is strong. And the Bible says we can grieve the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit. He'll never leave us. But we lose that fellowship. And to be honest with you, that's what I want the most. One of the hardest times in my life, it was years ago, was a long period where I didn't hear from the Lord. Now, i got to be honest with you, I've learned to talk to him and walk with him a lot. And there was a period where I couldn't hear him. His spirit wasn't bringing scriptures to my mind, and he wasn't talking to me the way he normally did. And I'm going to be honest with you, that was one of the most tormented times in my walk with Christ. He had a reason for why he did it, and he actually taught me some awesome things through it. But at the same time, as much as I like sin, I like his fellowship even better. And thank God in those times that are becoming fewer, that I do still set my mind on things of the flesh and not the spirit. His love overwhelms me. Where he says, I love you. I've already forgiven you for it. I'm just glad you came back. See, for years I was taught that whenever I sinned as a Christian, God, well, let's just imagine you've got a garden hose coming out of your house, and you know on the, on the outside of your house you'll have this little spigot where you can turn the water on and off. Picture that's God's grace flowing to you through the hose. For years I was taught that whenever I sinned, God would go burp, 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 and shut off the flow of his water, the flow of his grace toward me because I sinned, he was upset with me, and I had to ask him to forgive me. Please turn it back on. Please, God, please forgive me. Please turn your grace back on. And I realized that actually the Bible teaches that his grace is continually flowing. Is not his grace right now continually flowing to the world who doesn't know him? He's not waiting for them to ask, and then he'll pour out his grace. His grace is being offered all the time. And how much more for those of us who are in him will we receive the grace that is ours. And I came to realize that it wasn't that he turned it off and then I had to beg him to turn it back on. Actually, whenever I sin, I kink the hose. And you know what my loving father does? He taps me on the shoulder and says, Jim, you kink the hose. Jim, the kink the hose. You're missing my grace. You kink the hose. Unkink the hose. That's all you need to do. Just unkink the hose. Confess. Agree with me that you kink the hose. Lord, I kink the hose. He says, good, just don't kink it, we're good. Repent, we're good, I love you. Let's get going from here. Peter, do you love me more than these? Lord, I do love you. Well, let's get going from here. You notice how Jesus didn't say, then why'd you deny me? No, he didn't even do that, did he? Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Let's get going from here. Feed my sheep. Then he asked him a third time, 
Peter was hurt that he asked him a third time. And listen to what Peter says. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus smiles and says, yeah, I know you love me. Let's get going from here. And then Jesus takes Peter on a little walk. And he says, remember the guy who told me he'd die for me? You will. When you were young, you dressed yourself in what you wanted. And when you're older, you're going to stretch out your hand and be taken where you don't want to go. And by this, he showed him the kind of death that he would die. Did you catch that? Right at Peter's lowest point, God had already forgiven him. He was in Christ. He was the new creation. And he then pursued Peter. Go tell my brothers and Peter. And by the time Jesus appears in the upper room, the two men on the road to Emmaus have said, he's already appeared to Peter. Jesus, on the day that he rose from the dead, most of us were taught that God's going to sit back there and say, I'm going to wait till Peter comes back. No, he went and found Peter right away. And then he lovingly takes him on a walk and he says, look, I know you love me. I know yourself more than you know yourself. We're good. And I even see you finishing well. That's what I want. My prayer has been for years, Lord, you know my end. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And I have asked the Lord, if I'm ever going to shame you, take me home before I do. By the way, if I die tomorrow, don't assume that I'm living a horrible, sinful life, because that, that doesn't mean that. But at the same time, I don't want to bring shame to the gospel. I don't want to bring shame to Christ. Do I still struggle with sin? Yes, so do you. Don't think you don't. But the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and gave him victory over the flesh lives within you and me now. And if we learn how to live in that, focusing on that, setting our minds on that, we'll go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 3 through 11. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Stop. How many of you, don't need to show of hands here, because I know almost all of us probably have heard it in some form or another, have been taught that you need to have a second filling. You need to go have another experience. And no, if you are in Christ and he has given you his spirit, do you remember how we already read in Colossians 2 verse 9? In Christ the deity lived in fullness and bodily form and you have been filled in him. When the Bible says being filled with the spirit, it just means tapping into what is already there. You've already received everything you need for life and godliness. You don't need a special preacher to come lay hands on you. You have already got every, all the God you're ever going to get. Now it's a matter of learning how to... Live in that. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, you get to choose which you're going to live in the spirit of the flesh. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at what Peter's saying here. He says, look, You've already received everything you need for life and godliness through the promises and through the knowledge of him. So we now need to act on what he's done. Now, here's the problem. We hear him say, make every effort to add to your or supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge of self-control and so on. 
And how many of us have set out to read Galatians 5, 22 and following in the fruit of the Spirit and try to be more patient and try to be more kind and try to be more loving and all this stuff. And if you set out to go try to do this, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to fall flat. You can't do it. But remember, Colossians 2, verse 6, in the same way in which you received Jesus as Lord, now walk in him. Well, how did you receive him? You said, I can't save myself. Would you please do it? And you have to learn daily to say, Lord, some of the evidences of you being within me is going to be love, patience, gentleness, and kindness. I can't be more kind apart from you. But these are some things that you're showing me. Would you do it? Would you do it? I believe you will. And I'm telling you, folks, when you ask him to do what he already wants to do, it's going to happen. It really will. It really will. But if you try to be more like Jesus, that's why personally I never really loved the what would Jesus do? You can't do what Jesus did, did apart from Jesus doing it. That's why I think that one of the greatest prayers in the Bible is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm struggling here. And that is one of the things that I have learned has started to really help me in my walk with Jesus and to see growth in my spiritual walk is to acknowledge I'm, I've stopped saying, I'm going to do better, Lord. I've stopped rededicating my life. A lot of times I've just rededicated my flesh. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. Lord, I kinked the hose. You're right that I kinked the hose. Thank you that your grace is always flowing toward me. Let's get going from here. Do you hear the difference between I'm going to do better, I'm going to rededicate myself, and let's get going from here? This is all Jesus is looking for from you. Let's just get going from here. Let's get going from here. I've begun the good work. I'm going to finish it. Now, we love the verse that talks about how we're co-heirs with Christ. But we never read the rest of it. Look at Romans chapter 8 verses 16 and 17. He says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. We don't keep reading the rest. You know why? Because it has that word suffer in it. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Don't miss that. How many of you, show of hands, have heard people say, I'm co-heirs with Jesus Christ? We've all have it, haven't we? But how many have ever quoted the rest of that verse? Provided we suffer with him. I'm going to hit this fast because we're going to close on this section. We've got six minutes left. I think we can do it. But we're going to hit this real fast. So you're going to need a piece of paper and a pen to, cover this, to write the scriptures down. We love to talk about being co-heirs with Jesus, but we rarely, rarely finish the verse. Saying yes to the Spirit in this life and no to the flesh will make you a target in this world. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And by the way, sometimes that persecution comes from the church. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. We just looked at 3.12. Now look at 2.12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Now, the rest of that goes, if we deny him, he'll also deny us. If we're without faith, he remains faithful. Craig can't deny himself. So what he's saying here is two parts. He says, if we endure, we will reign with him. Now, if you reject him, he'll reject you. If you don't have faith, he remains faithful to who he is because he can't deny himself. All right. But look what it says. If we endure, we'll reign with him. There's a lot of people that claim they're in Christ, but they don't fight the flesh. They don't say no to the flesh. And again, it's not our call to say who's, in, who's saved and who's not. God's going to separate that all at the end. But the Bible does teach that unless you're willing to lay yourself down, you cannot be his disciple. Matthew chapter 5, I'm not going to have you turn there, but verses 10 through 12, he talks about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. 
John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, Jesus said, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We'll get to that next week when we get into those verses. But look at what he says. There's a glory that's coming that's beyond comparison to the suffering in this life, but there will be suffering in this present time. Too many Christians are trying to live a life with no, no suffering. No, we're co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I'm going to wrap up, though, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, and then verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 11, and verses 16 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. By the way, what's the treasure? Who's the treasure? Jesus. What are the jars of clay? Us, our flesh. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now before I go to verses 16 through 18, does that sound familiar? For those of you that know the end of Romans 8, which you've already read tonight, we're always given over to death for Jesus' sake. Folks, in this life, there's going to be a struggle. And one of the biggest struggles is you fighting your flesh. We, we, we get, so I'm going I'm to deal with persecution for Christ in this church by the world and all these people around me. Yeah, that's fine. That's probably going to happen. And, and, and I'm not poo-pooing that at all. But let me just say this. Are you fighting the fight that's happening between your flesh and your spirit? How about you suffer there first? And let Jesus give you the victory there. Because we'll be rewarded for what he's done through us. Look at verses 16 through 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they pass away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. By the way, did some of you kind of groan a little bit when you heard uh, Paul call the struggle that we have in this flesh and in this life light and momentary affliction? As we're going to get to next time we get together, that's because he got to see what's to come. Remember how we just read in verse 18? I consider that the, present, the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. Now, some of you are going through some physical issues right now. Some of you are going through emotional. Some of you are going through relational, family struggles. We're all going through different types. But let me say to you, some of you right now are feeling overwhelmed and you think it's too much. Let me say this to you. God says, I don't let anything happen to you without my control and my purposes and my plan. And I'm going to use this for my good. We're going to get to all this next time. But you need to set your mind on things above, not on the flesh. We have to learn how to live in that new nature. And when you do, God will give Life to your mortal body. You'll be able to, as Paul did, not have the thorn go away possibly, yet still be fine. Again, I wish I had the time to develop this more, but we, we don't. Let me just say this to you. One day we will no longer have these mortal bodies. Hallelujah, can't wait. But we have this treasure 
right now in jars of clay so that the world will see him. Are they? I love you. We'll see you next time.